and uh, we hope that you had a good week, but even if you didn't, this is the place to be. Uh, thank you all for being cooperative with our schedule changes and things, uh, and you know, doing the leaving the sanctuary and things while we clean, that's gone fairly well, and we're just kind of learning as we go, and thank you for, for working with us. We appreciate that. And there was something else I was going to tell you, and I forgot about what it was. Maybe it'll come back to me later. But as Pastor Jaime was uh, sharing the sermon last week, something came to my mind. And so if you don't like the sermon today, you can blame him. But uh, no, he was talking about things, the ways that, things that we need to avoid. Sometimes knowing our strengths starts in realizing our weaknesses. Sometimes... Making the right choices means knowing where we need to stay away from. And as I was thinking about that and thinking about our own walk with the Lord and um, our church and where we want our church to be and what kind of church we want to be known as, I think that's important as well. And when we talk about Christianity, we talk about transformation. Amen? Christianity is a religion of rebirth of uh, regeneration, of transformation, of miraculous change. That's what it's all about. Jesus died to grant us grace and forgiveness and to restore our relationship with the Lord, but then He rose to give us newness of life. Do you believe that? And uh, we need to be rooted and grounded on that. And so there are things in our personal lives that we need to realize the Lord wants to transform. And he also wants that for our church. Many times, and we're going to get into this in a little bit, but many times what we try to do is, maybe we don't try to do it consciously, but what we end up doing is bringing the brokenness of our past or maybe even bad church experiences that we've had, we end up repeating the same bad habits in our present. And what the Lord wants us to realize is that since our faith, since our God is a God of transformation, being rooted and grounded in Him means we can break the cycle of bad behavior. We can break the cycle of illness and sickness. Now, I don't necessarily mean physical ailments. Sometimes we are afflicted with those, and for some reason they're not taken from us. But ultimately, what we need to realize is that Christianity is about rebirth. And so our present church can be the kind of church we all want it to be if we decide not to bring past mistakes of others with us into our present. If we decide that, yes, we are broken people, but in Jesus, I am transformed And I don't need to bring my brokenness with me into my present. You know, there's a phrase that Jesus uses, um, or a parable that he teaches. And you saw it in the children's story. You saw him teach about the houses, the two houses. And you remember the old song that we used to sing with the kids, the wise man built his house upon the rock. And even in that, that cartoon we saw, it sort of blamed the location of the house. But we have a problem as Floridians. All of our houses are built on sand. So, you know, we, we've got a problem. And 
Matthew's gospel even makes it sound like that, that it's the, the location of the house that's the problem. But as we read Luke's gospel, many times Luke and John have uh, more perspective on some of the things that Jesus said and some of the things that took place because they were written later. And Luke has a little bit more detail or at least a little more thought. So go with me to Luke 6. Luke 6, 46. This is right in the Sermon on the Mount. Many times we don't think of this parable being with the Sermon on the Mount, but it actually is. Luke 6, 46. Jesus says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. So Luke does not blame the location of the house Luke blames it on the fact that it has no foundation. It's similar to a hut. <laughs> Just the walls are built right on top of the ground. No foundation. No slab underneath. No nothing. It's just built right on top of the ground. So any wind or flood or anything is just going to plow it right over. Are you following what I'm saying? You know, and it occurs to me that as time goes on, this is going to be a temptation in our lives. What do I mean by that? We are being trained by our society to be not rooted and grounded on the rock. We are being taught to react out of emotion, out of our past, out of our our feelings out of what the mob is doing, out of what the crowd is doing. Not out of being grounded deeply in Jesus. And what's really interesting about this is that as you read through the Sermon on the Mount, he seems to go back and forth. And Jesus talks in one, at one point about obeying his commandments. And then next he talks about a, a tree that bears good fruit. And, and he seems to kind of be mixing his themes. But as you read carefully, what you find out is that what he's teaching is it's not about the fruit on the outside of the tree as much it is, as it is what the tree is rooted in. A tree that has the proper nutrients from the proper soil is going to bear good fruit. Are you with me? A tree that is rooted in bad soil or doesn't get the proper nutrients is not going to be able to give good fruit. And he talks ultimately about being rooted and grounded in Him. So in other words, our roots must be planted in and on him if we are to produce good fruit. Even if the fruit looks good, if it's not rooted in the nutrients of Him and His power and glory and the truths of the Gospel, it's not actually good fruit. It's like a house that's built with no foundation. And that is how we are being trained to live. Well, as long as the house looks decent, it doesn't matter what's underneath. 
You know, if the crowd's saying this or doing this, you know, we've even digressed to the place in our society where our politicians are defending bad behavior and saying, well, they did it first. I mean, really? That's the place we've gotten? Well, they did it first? But that's where we are. And so we're, 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 we need to realize that we must have a structure built on a solid rock foundation that goes deeply into Jesus. It cannot be built simply and solely with the outward, the external. How do I know this is true? Well, let's take it into real life from my own experience. Um, And I'll ask this question. Have you ever experienced a knowledge of the fact that you have a vice or a bad habit or a sin or something that exists in your life, and you pray for the Lord to take care of it. Lord, remove this. Make me stop doing this. I don't want this desire anymore. Take it, take it, take it. But he doesn't take it. It hangs around. And you can't figure out, for the life of you, why God doesn't remove that thing. I think all of us is probably, hopefully we've all experienced this. I, I, I have a feeling I know why this is the case, why God doesn't take it. It's because the issues in our lives are just the fruit on the tree. And if God were to fix that thing and just take it from you, what would end up happening is that it would root or it would sprout up in another place in our lives. It would come out differently. So what God has to do in our lives is take care of what that deeper thing is in us. And sometimes He leaves that fruit on the tree. He leaves that habit. He leaves that sin there so we will know that there's an issue. We, we love the Andy Griffith show in our house. And uh, Barney Fife has that famous line, Nip it in the bud, Ange! Nip it in the bud! With our spiritual lives, and when it comes to the Lord, it's not enough to nip it in the bud. You've got to nip it in the root. And we serve a God that says, be rooted and grounded in me, my transformational, miraculous, glorious power. Be rooted in me, and good things will sprout up from it. We are rooted and grounded in the power of the Lord, but we are so tempted to merely react off from the surface. And I believe that this is going to be a greater and greater temptation as time goes on before Jesus comes. And if you look at the book of Revelation, it's really quite interesting. If you read through it, you notice that all five senses are mentioned as being deceived in the end. And it's not that I think that, you know, the devil's going after our sense of smell necessarily. It's just that I think it's a warning for us to realize you can't always trust what you see. The Bible talks about uh, the devil bringing fire down from heaven in the sight of men and deceiving many. You can't always trust what you see. You can't always trust what you hear. You can't always trust what you smell. You can't always trust your senses. You can't trust the surface. The problem is, is we're human beings, aren't we? That's all we have. <laughs> that's the way we navigate the world. That's, that's the way we walk so we don't bump into things. That's the way we, we know what's good to eat and what isn't. Are you with me? 
The Lord says, as time goes on, we, will be able, we, we must trust less in what we sense and more in who He is. And as you see what's happening in our world around us every day, we have people trusting in their emotions, their feelings, their, their, what the crowd is urging them on to do, and not in the rock-solid truth of the gospel. You know, there's an interesting uh, story that I love, that I struggled with for some time. It's in John chapter 5. John chapter 5, beginning in verse 2. And I'm going to grab my water while you're turning there. John 5, 2. It says this, Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? I always wondered, what's the deal with this question? Because he's here for a reason. He's lying by the pool for a reason. And uh, in this area, there were mineral springs or hot springs. And so they had actually built like a bathhouse almost around this hot spring. And in those days, sort of the the pagan beliefs or the mythological beliefs of the Romans had mixed with the Jews. And so even some Jewish people believed that if you were the first one into this pool when it started bubbling from the mineral springs or the hot springs, the gods would heal you, or God would heal you. And so this guy wanted to be the first one in the pool. So he's been laying there maybe for 30, was it 36 or 38 years? And he's laying there for that long. Obviously, he wants to be healed. It seems like a silly question. Jesus, why do you put him through this? Do you want to be healed? And it goes on. It says... um, And at one, where where am I? Verse 7, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while while I'm going, another steps down in front of me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Praise God, right? Now, why do you suppose Jesus asked this guy if he wants to be well? Why do you think that is? The obvious answer is yes, of course. I believe it's because he needed much more healing than just his legs. I believe that he needed a full heart conversion. He needed to be rooted and grounded on the rock. You see, just healing his legs may not have healed him. As we look at this story and we read the Desire of Ages and some other Bible commentators, they believe that this man's infirmity was actually caused by his sinful living. Something in his past, maybe he had gotten drunk and stumbled down some stairs and broke his back, who who knows, but there's something about this guy that his past had caused his infirmity, his handicapped. So, 
Here, Jesus comes to him and he asks him if he wants to be well. Do you want to be well? And you know, I think the question for all of us is the same today. And you might be thinking, wait a second, I don't have a handicap. I'm relatively healthy. You know, you can be handicapped in your heart and in your emotions and in your spirituality. You can be worse off than a person who can't get into the pool by themselves. And those of us that are physically healthy are often the ones who don't realize that we are not rooted and grounded on the rock. The house looks good. It's on the beach. We're sitting and basking in the sun. Everything looks good. The problem is there is, a, there is no foundation. Our house is not built on the solid rock of our Lord and Savior and of the, the, the power and the truth of the gospel. I'll never forget this in my very first district. Um, there was a man, his name was Greg, and he had been a paraplegic for a long time in his life, over 20 years, 25 years. It was caused by, he had lived kind of a real wild teenage life, and he had been bold enough to try and dive into a pool off from a rooftop. His head hit the ground in the, in the pool, the, the bottom of the pool, and he broke his neck. Greg couldn't use his legs, couldn't use the bathroom. He could use his arms, but not his hands because of where uh, the break took place. So he didn't have any control over his hands, and uh, we always got a chuckle out of it. He was the most jovial man you could ever meet. He loved to talk. He loved to have conversations. And what we always used to get a chuckle out of was the fact that he drove his wheelchair as fast as it would go every chance he got. And he also had a mechanism in his van where he could actually drive a van. And he was on two wheels going around corners. I mean, he was, he was loving life. But he loved Jesus. He loved the Lord. He was the head elder of that church. And you know something? One day, a Pentecostal person came to Greg and said, you can be healed today. You can be healed. I want to pray for you. I said, oh, sure, you can pray for me. And this Pentecostal person prayed and prayed and prayed and really invoked the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus and, and laid hands on him and prayed and prayed and prayed. And after that prayer was over, nothing happened. And he said, you know why nothing happened? Because God has already healed me. He said, God saved me by putting me in this chair. And to the day of his death, he said the same thing. And you know something? What all of us need to realize is that we need healing. We need Jesus to make us well. We need to be made whole. And we all need to realize that we are tempted to try to build our house on top of the ground with no foundation. Things are going well in our lives. We have things relatively together. We go to church. We give our offering. We, we're a relatively good person. But you know something? Real transformation cannot come. Real good fruit cannot come unless we are rooted and grounded on the rock who is Jesus. Paul says that we have a religion of transformation. Do you believe that? He says, be ye transformed.
formed by the renewing of our minds. And you know something? More and more I've found that some of us who adhere to this faith, we believe in Christianity, we believe in this, this thing that is a follower of Jesus, but we deny its power. You hear things like, well, I just have to be myself, and I have to be me, and I just got to let it all hang out all the time. And we deny the power of transformation. Well, I'm just a grump, and I'm going to be a grump. You know, I'm just wild, and I'm going to be wild. I'm going to... Various things, and we try to write it off as just being ourselves. But you know something? Healed people act healed. Healed people live healed. And healed people heal others. Society tells us that hurt people hurt people. Christianity teaches us that hurt people heal people. And that's what we need to recognize and realize in our personal lives. We do not, in our present, have to be dictated by our past. As I said in first service, you know, our brokenness of our past, our struggles and trials of our past, you know, it may tint the paint color on the walls of our house, but it cannot be our foundation. Too many of us, though, rely on brokenness as our foundation. All of our emotions, our decisions, our spiritual life is all coming from a place of brokenness. But we believe in a religion of renewal, of transformation, of rebirth. Yes, it's our past. And yes, it'll never fully go away because we remember it. But the truth of the matter is, we have a living, transforming, all-powerful Savior. And it's not that we deny our past, but it's that we realize that we are no longer living in it. Jesus is healing, powerful, and forgiving. I love these few sentences from the Desire of Ages. It says, He bids you arise in health and peace. Do not wait. I love this. Do not wait to feel that you are made whole. Start living as if you are transformed, even if you don't feel like it. Because we do not accept a past of defeat. We may have been defeated in the past, but in Jesus we are currently victorious. Believe His Word and it will be fulfilled. Put your will on the side of Christ. Will to serve Him and in acting upon His Word, you will receive strength. Whatever may be the evil practice, the master passion which through long indulgence binds both soul and body, Christ is able and longs to deliver. He will impart life to soul that is dead in sin and trespasses. Ephesians 2.1 He will set free the captive that is held by weakness and misfortune and in the chains of sin. Do you believe that today? 
Live as if you're healed, even if you don't feel healed. Greg's a perfect example of that. That man lived as if he was healed, even if he didn't feel it or look it. Too many people are still operating out of a place of brokenness. Here's the thing. You can be a broken person, but in Jesus, we have to refuse to make brokenness our foundation. It is to deny the power of God. It's to deny that the Lord can heal you and change things in your life. It's to accept defeat when Jesus has already won the battle. Too many of us are still operating out of a place of brokenness. Our habits, our feelings, our emotions, our decisions, our relationships are dictated by our past. And it may work for a time. The house may stand up on the sand without a foundation for a while. But it has no foundation and we know what happens when the floods come. You know, it's interesting. The floods come to both the houses. Did you notice that? The storm came. The storm came to the house that's rooted on the, that's founded on the rock. The storm came to the house that's founded on the sand. Well, it came to both, but one stood. The one that's rooted and founded on the rock, on Jesus. Why is that true? Because we serve an almighty, omnipotent, all-powerful, all-glorious, unchanging Savior. He has won the victory. And when we are rooted and grounded in Him, we cannot be moved. Even if you feel like a broken-down shack, if your foundation is on Christ, that is not your current reality. Somebody better say amen to that. Even if you feel like your life is a mess, it isn't in Jesus. And that mess does not have to dictate your present and your future. Because Jesus is a miracle-working, path-blazing leader and God who has been victorious. He's gone before us. Jesus did not say to the man that has been waiting to get into the pool. He didn't say, you know what, you're healed, but you stay there for a while. Take your time. You know, he didn't, he didn't say to the guy, you know, um, you know, rise up and walk and go a little further, but if you get tired, go back and lay down to where you were. He said, rise up and walk. And what did the guy do? He picked up his bed and went and, and left. I'm out of here. That's what he wants for all of us. And when it comes to our sins and our past, that's what Jesus is saying. And that's what it means to be rooted and grounded in the rock. It's not to rely on the place that you were laying for 38 years. The sins, you know what Peter says? Peter's just Peter. And the phrase that he uses is, it's like a dog returning to his vomit which happens in our house from time to time. Happened last week or something. <laughs> it's disgusting, but that's what we do. 
you know, we, we bring our past into our future. It's like, you know, a dog returning to its vomit or this guy who has left his place of infirmity and going back and saying, well, this is where I'm comfortable or, uh, you know, I need to, I, I'm still operating as if I'm laying by that pool, unable to get in. We don't have to live that way anymore. Now, here's the thing. It doesn't mean that we aren't weak. See, there's a difference in thinking that I've, you know, I'm fixed. I've got it all together. You know, I, I, I don't have any more problems. That's not what we're saying at all. It's knowing that there is a deeper truth that is more true than how you feel. There is a rock that, you're, that you are grounded on that is stronger than your biggest weakness. It means, since we are rooted and grounded in the rock... It means that I am transformed in him even if I don't feel like it. But the thing about it is, you can't continue to accept past brokenness in trying to live a transformed life. Lord, I feel weak. And we should be able to say that to each other and be vulnerable enough with each other to admit those things. There are times when we are beaten down and bloodied. And we need to be able to share those moments with each other. But too many of us stay there. We stay on the ground and continue to bleed. And we bleed on other people. We should not accept that. There's a time for bleeding and there's a time to rise and fight again in the strength in, strength in Jesus. You know, I believe in the last days that we will be easily led into forming habits and behaviors that are not founded on the rock. I think that's why we have so much, so many people serving a political agenda more than they're serving their Savior. I believe, as many have said in in the last year or so, Christians do not fit into the two-party system. We don't identify with one or the other. We, We stand for a different kind of kingdom. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have your own personal views. But the fact of the matter is, your allegiance does not lie with any president. It does not lie with any political party. It lies with the King of kings and Lord of lords. And too many Christians are getting sucked into evil last-day agendas. We show that we are not rooted and grounded on the rock when we find ourselves getting sucked into the nonsense. And as uh, Barry Black, chaplain of the Senate, prayed at the end of the proceedings on Wednesday, he said, we have been tempted to look at other people and not see that they're created in the image of God. My friends, this is an evil last day deception. And as Adventists, we've been preaching this for 150 years, yet our allegiance continues to lie with Republicans or Democrats. Lord, forgive us. Our allegiance does not lie with any man. It lies with the rock who is Jesus. Get yourself out of the political fray. It is a house built on sinking sand. You know that this world, you know where it's going. 
or you haven't been listening in church or in prophecy seminars. Come on, people! Prophecy seminars for 150 years have been teaching us that the left will give Christianity problems, but do you know where the persecution comes from in the end? It's the woman, a symbol of the church, the apostate church, riding on the beast, which is the government. It's the right. It comes from the right. The right overcorrects the mistakes of the left, and that's where religious liberty dies. Adventists have been preaching this for 150 years, and all of... I'm getting worked up. You guys are getting deceived by it. I've seen the political nonsense. We are Seventh-day Adventists who have a prophetic understanding, and we need to get back to that. Because we're making enemies out of people God has called us to save. We serve one kingdom, and it's not of this world. It's not of this world. And you saw on Wednesday how dangerous this is getting, and you've seen over the last year how dangerous this stuff is getting. It is an evil deception in the last days. It is founded on sand, and there is no rock underneath it. I am thankful for this country, thankful for this nation. God made it possible that the Christian message may be spread. But we are told very clearly in Scripture that the nation starts out speaking like the lamb and ends up speaking like the dragon. And I feel the dragon's breath breathing down my neck. Don't you? It is sinking sand. Okay. Whew, got that off my shirt. And you know, in the past, in the past, the church goes through these huge pendulum swings one way or the other. And I'm going to go into a little part here where we talk a little bit about music, but this isn't really about music. It's just that art really communicates the feelings of people. It's sort of the mouthpiece for how people are thinking. And in past generations, what we've had is hymns and songs that I love with all of my heart, but if you look at the songs in our hymnal, 85% of them are about the power and the glory and the awe and the majesty of who God is. And praise God for those songs. I love those songs, don't you? But in recent generations, what we've had is a response to one extreme in many of our current Christian music talking about personal devotion and our need and our brokenness and our longing for the Lord. Have you noticed that? And what we had in past generations was the theology at the expense of personal devotion. And now what we're experiencing is personal devotion at the expense of theology. And one side says, you know, I I can't connect with those songs because they don't seem to come from from a personal experience, and I can relate to that. And then this side says, you know, I, I can't relate to, 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 to the, the new songs because there's no theology in it. 
Here's the thing, friends. We need both. Read through the Psalms. Both of those things are in there. We have deep theology and recognizing who God is, and then we've had you know, just longing and crying out to the Lord in brokenness. The, the thing is, what this side has created, the theology side and the awe side with the lack of personal devotion, it created an atmosphere in churches where people didn't feel like they could be real. People didn't feel like they could be weak. Because if God is this strong, I have to put forth a, a, a good face. I have to put a mask on. Because nobody else can see that I'm a broken person in need. But over here, what we've seen is that with personal devotion at the lack of theology, deep Bible study has gone out the window, and a true knowledge of who God has gone out the window, and people just saying, I just have to be myself and live my life, and you know, transformation doesn't necessarily have to be a part of it. But what happens if you bring the two together? <laughs> and my point in bringing this up is, we all need to be rooted and grounded on the rock where both of these things meet. You know, you can be so doctrinally accurate that you are, you are you're built, but you have no foundation. It's all head knowledge. And you can be so full of heart that you have no theology and transformation does not become part of your walk with the Lord. Both extremes aren't good. We need both of those things. They both are a handicap one way or the other. In the past, we've had power, majesty, fear, awe at the sake, theology at the sake of personal devotion. In the present or in contemporary times, we have devotion and personal acknowledgement of weakness and brokenness at the sake of theology. Neither one is good. Lord, forgive us for both those. In the past, people have wanted to hide their sins. They wanted to put on a good face for other church members. Lord, forgive us for making sinners feel that they cannot be safe in a place like this. Today, too many people just let it all hang out in the other, in the other ditch, the other side of the coin, uh, sort of acting like Jesus hasn't said, take up your bed and walk. That He can't transform us. Lord, forgive us for denying the power of the Gospel to change us and make us new creations. They're two very destructive and unproductive extremes. Friends, if we don't worship a healing, transforming, powerful God, what's the point? The question for us today is, do you want to be well? And not just well in order to have a nice pretty house that sits on top of the ground, but a fully healthy house that has a firm foundation on Jesus Christ. That means physical, emotional, and spiritual healing. That doesn't mean you won't have ailments. Because both houses still experience the storm. But it means that we have a deeper grounded truth that we are founded on. That no matter what we feel like at the moment, it is more true than what we feel. In other words, 
You are transformed even if you don't feel like it. You are victorious even when you feel weak or defeated. Now let's transition as we close to talking about our entire church. We've talked at length about not accepting our brokenness and bringing it into our present. We've talked about various aspects of that. If it's you know, in our relationships, if it's in our political views, if it's in various things, we can't take our, our bed of infirmity and bring it into our present because Jesus says, rise up and walk. Walk away from it. And we have to do that when we think about our own church. Because, you know, many of us, and don't get me wrong, this is not a scolding in any way. I just want us to be cognizant of these things. Um, Many of us say that we want a certain type of church. We say we want the church to be a safe place, a a place full of joy and and, uh, peace and welcoming. But what we end up doing is we take the broken experiences, the painful experiences into our new present. We take what happened to us in past experiences in churches and maybe without even knowing it, we apply it into our present so our present church becomes just as sick as our past church. And we're the culprit. Saying we want a healthy church is not enough. We have to live it. We have to live it out. If we were hurt by a critical church, how can we then be critical? Ooh, there was a lot of silence on that one. If we were criticized and hurt by a church in the past, how then are we, you know, eating the pastors for lunch? Or talking about that ministry leader on the drive home? You experience what that feels like. That's not the church we want to be, right? I'm not talking about anything specific. Again, I'm just bringing these things. Have you ever been the person that was exhausted by being the only one trying to keep up failing ministries? Yet, in your present state, you don't step in to help. <laughs> you know what it's like to not have any help, but then in our present condition, we do nothing about it. You see what we do as humans? That's not rising up, taking up our bed and walk. That's bringing our past into our present. We may have been offended by people arguing over issues, but the minute we disagree, we take our ball and go home. Rather than being a peacemaker or an advocate for positivity. Our children have walked away from the Lord because the church let them fall through the cracks, but we don't do anything to help the children of the present. The gossip really hurt us, but we can't keep our own mouths shut. You see what we do as humans? And I'm not talking about anybody specific here. I'm just saying, this is what I've seen as a pastor. Everyone says they want a healthy church. Everyone says they want a beautiful church to come to where they can bring their friends. But that takes all of us living as healed and transformed people. It means not taking our past and putting it in our present. It means living in a new reality where we refuse to let the bad enter our present. The question for us is, do we really want to be well? 
Or do we just want to look good on the outside? Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but on the inside, it's not so good. Do we have a form of godliness without its power? Its power is transformation. Here we go. You ready for this? Healed people need to behave as healed people. Forgiven people need to live in an attitude of grace. Saying we want a safe and happy church isn't enough. We have to act like it. Our past experiences and brokenness cannot be our foundation. It is sinking sand. It may tint the paint on the walls, but it's not what we build on. Amen? Our foundation is a living, powerful, transformational Savior. Do you believe that today? The rock is Jesus, the all-powerful, omnipotent, omnipresent, inimitable, unshakable, miracle-working, devil-crushing King of Kings. He is the rock. I will not build my present and my future on my past brokenness. We must not stand for past brokenness being the foundation of our present in our church. We are built on the rock, and the rock transforms us. He changes us. He gives us new life. If our roots go deep and we are rooted and grounded in that power, we can be all that God wants us to be. We will not accept society's norm that tells us hurt people hurt people because the gospel teaches us that hurt people heal people. There's power in the name of Jesus. Criticized people don't criticize. Forgotten people don't forget anyone. Ever been hurt by being forgotten? But then you withdraw? That's bringing past brokenness into your present. Live to be that person that will not, refuses to forget anyone. Hurt people, heal people. Forgiven people, forgive people. Transformed people, live transformed lives. Well people, rise up and walk. Unloved people, love people. That is the power of the gospel. We may be transformed in Jesus, even if we don't feel like it. We must not accept past brokenness and let that be the foundation of our present. There is a big, plain-sized fly buzzing around in here. (laughs) We must not accept past brokenness and bring it into our present. Jesus says, that's not your reality. Your reality is in me, and I have healed you and transformed you. Do not accept that illness and bring it into your present. It does not have to continue. Break the cycle. Be renewed. Be transformed. Is that what you want for your personal life? Is that what you want for your church? I want to see all of us in this journey together. And I want to see this church become a place of transformed lives so that transformed people can transform a community. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being our rock, our foundation. Lord, today we come before you and we thank you for telling us that we're transformed even when we don't feel like it. So Lord, this means that we do not have to rely on how we feel, how we think, what other people tell us. It doesn't mean that we have to bring our broken past into our present. It means that we are a new creation in Jesus who has already won the victory. We have a foundation. We have a rock. We have good soil that we're planted in and we want our roots to run deep so that we may produce good fruit. Lord, we want to be transformed, renewed, remade. So we must not accept bringing past brokenness into our present. May we leave it behind us. Lord, we know that it will always in some way be with us. The handicapped man was always once a handicapped man, but that doesn't mean that's who he is after Jesus said, rise up and walk. And that's what he's saying to all of us. Rise up and walk. We thank you for your transforming power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.